Tom Maisky. <laughs> Hello. No. You, you alright? <laughs> That's a, a very lacklustre intro there. Well, I don't know why you just started by shouting my name out. I don't <laughs> like it when people do that. <laughs> Does it sound like you're in trouble? <laughs> yeah. Like Thomas Maisky. <laughs> sound like a fucking teacher. Yeah, sorry. Okay. How are you doing, man? You good? Yeah, I was telling you earlier on the on the on the pre-com show. <laughs> I'm a little a little stressed, a little bogged down in work and the the purchasing of the house and all that kind of stuff. Had a hospital appointment this morning, pain in the ass, blah 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 blah. Went to Wrexham as I was mentioning to talking to Ken about Wrexham the other day. Ooh. And the and the way that Ryan Reynolds has bought their football club. Oh, so weird. So it's so it, so he, cool. He can't have been there. <laughs> like, <laughs> cannot have been to Wrexham, man. It's actually Welsh for rectum. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's the rectum of Wales. So there you go. So yeah, okay. I'm, well, I'm drinking a Welsh pale made in Llantrasant. Mm, sounds great. What what was it? Right. An IPA. Very nice. It's an, it's an IPA. <laughs> oh, it's, a, oh, it's a pale with hints of pine, all finished with a clean hoppy bitterness. I'm glad you're um, you, you're back on track with the IPAs, man, because you were just bringing fucking Stella to the shows previously. I bet you've got Doombar again. <laughs> what makes you say that? Yes, I, I have. seen the bottle. Yes, I have. But uh, yeah, so um, no, man, we're, we're back. We're back with that 8-Bit Shit Show, season two. and this Well, week, into season two now. Yeah, Walls yeah, deeper, we're as it were. hugely uh, into it now, and we are looking at Metroid this week. Um, now, Metroid, Tom, tell us why we're we're looking at Metroid this week. First of all, we've looked at and we constantly talk about how this show we want to chronicle a history of video gaming, uh, a complete history, one game at a time. We're going to cover them all eventually, <laughs> and. Uh, by that, we don't want to just pick out, you know, what are the top 100 or so games of all time or however many shows we do this. We're going to pick out some really big bangers, some unheard of ones, but we want to pick games that all have a story to tell or some legacy, some more than others, you know, or some are just like, oh, their their stories that they're shockingly bad or or for whatever reason, but there's always a story around them. Like when we talk about um, Bill and Ted in the last season, the story was about the publisher um, JLN and, and things around that. Metroid, it's not many games you can say literally spawned an entire genre. Now, Metroid and Castlevania launch the same year have the Metroidvania genre, which is a hugely popular genre even today. And, or more so today than probably for the last 20 years. Yeah. Because of the return to like a lot of 2D and exploration type games and indie games proliferating again um, due to digital distribution, things like that. And Metroid started this, and Metroid only came out like in 1986. So it's crazy the influence this has had. It can't really be understated how influential this game is. On in terms of, so when you say like a game is influential, um, Grand Theft Auto is influential in terms of like open world games. This is influential from a level design perspective and a mm-hmm. game design perspective, like philosophy of game design, not from, um, not in the same way that some games are. Uh, influential in terms of sales or in terms of public awareness of gaming like space invaders or something like that this was at its core an influential video game um 
And so, yeah, this was developed and um, published by Nintendo um, for the Famicom uh, originally, then the NES. Uh, so it came out in 1986, as you said. Actually, Japan. surprisingly, first for the Famicom Disk System. Which was, yeah, even earlier. Um, um, and just a, a funny... I, it did come to the Famicom normally. There's, there's, we'll get on to this, but the only interesting difference between the two ad is the way you save the game, because the Famicom Disk System, you could save your progress. Mm, which is But the, when it was when it was released on then the cartridge-based systems, you had a password. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Fun little bit of trivia for those the difference between those versions. So yeah, following the uh, Japan release, it came out in uh, America, North America in 1987, and then in Europe in 1988. So it had a quite staggered release across the globe. Um, as as was like the that was um de rigueur for back then. Oh, good word. Good word. <laughs> oh, I didn't <laughs> expect I'd pull that one out of the bag today. <laughs> so I, I used a portmanteau the other Oh, you no, you no, used it me. on the show. Oh man, I love that word. It's a very good word. Use it again when you get to it. <laughs> just, so, just so I can hear it. Okay. I'll say it in my best accent. So um, for some context on, on Metroid, so some notable platformer releases from the same year were Alex Kidd and Miracle World on the Master System, um, which, as we will go on to discuss later in the series, is one of the best games to have ever been made. Um, <laughs> according to some. Super Mario Brothers, The Lost Levels, which um, was actually Super we'll Mario Brothers We'll be talking Brothers about 2. Alex Kidd this season. No, 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 I'm not finished. With oh, come on. We'll be, t- we'll be talking about Alex Kidd in Miracle World this season. Alex Kidd was a total fucking failure at what it designed to do. But, and, you know, be a video wow. game, be fun. Wow. Was, what a bucket of shit that game is. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute fucking disgrace. Tom, this could mean the end of the 8-Bit Shit Show because we could fall out on this episode. I'll punch you through the screen. <laughs> we should um, we should, we should, should battle a, with a game of rock, paper, scissors to, to see who's right. A Kranken match, as it were. <laughs> Kranken house. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'll, put yeah, Super- in, I'll, put, I'll put you in the Kranken house. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers 2, or The Lost Levels, as it became known, um, was released in the same year um, in Japan. Bubble Bobble, the arcade game. Right, Bubble also... Bobble's dope as fuck. I don't think I've played it, so we need to cover that. Oh, man. I'm not sure we're going to have an hour's worth of chat about it, but it's dope as hell. No, oh, I'll definitely play it, though. Uh, Kid yeah. Icarus uh, on the Famicom and NES. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, Castlevania was, was the other big one. Year so... two for the Famicom. That's and insane, look at that fucking it? lineup, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, alongside that, you've also got The Legend of Zelda, um, <laughs> Outrun. Um, which was arcade with various ports, but also uh, Dragon Quest, um, which was known as Dragon Warrior in the US. So, so yeah, just looking at the NES launches, so Super Mario 2 is probably not su- such an important thing, but Kid Icarus, Castlevania, Metroid, Dragon Quest, and The Legend of Zelda, like, fucking hell. Yeah, that's a big year. Every one of them is, like, absolutely paramount to the development of video games as we know today. Which is ridiculous that like, that happened in one year, man. That was Nintendo's, you know seminal year um so background of of metroid then so they'd come off the back of making some of these huge huge games so you've got uh super mario brothers as we mentioned donkey kong ice climber and um legend of zelda in the same year um but they wanted to move forward and make an action game next and that's where metroid comes in and here you go tom metroid (laughs) it's a portmanteau of the words Metro and Android. Oh, I love it. 
Um, as we're going through this, we have a document that we work from for anyone that's new listening to that 8-Bit Shit Show. Uh, Tom is currently changing some of the words for me, which is going to make this quite challenging. Uh, <laughs> Metroid... Um, <laughs> well, me- <laughs> I can't even say it, though. Uh, so, me- <laughs> so Metroid was produced by it's quite a rookie team of um, of graduates, and they were <laughs> now these names. I'm going to try and pronounce them as best as I can. Okay, well, I, I'm going to take the first one. Gunpei Yakoi Ad is actually like so. There's, there was a, a group of rookie guys in this, but Gunpei Yakoi is really, really important because he worked on the um, on the Game and Watch. Mm, okay. Okay. So and he's uh, the game yeah. and the Game Boy. Well, yeah, he's he's a he's the big big gun in this. But um, let me just pull him up and actually just cover off a little bit of what he did because he's someone's name that we're going to hear again and again. Um, yeah, sure. Let's he's in. dead, so we'll only hear it so many times. So he's contributed to the creation of the Game Boy. He worked on the Wonder Swan, the Virtual Boy. Um, yeah, he also worked on the Game and Watch. So he was important. The rest, yeah. not so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so it was directed by a guy called Satori, uh, Satoru Akada and uh, another guy called Masao Yama, Ma- Yamamoto. I apologize for my mm-hmm. pronunciation. And <laughs> here we go, here's the one. Scored by Hirokazu Twat- Twataka, which I feel you may have edited. <laughs> yeah, it's Tanaka, but I changed it to Twataka <laughs> just to, to catch you out. But you, you saw me do it. It was unfortunate. I'm going to go write down the document and do a later on one. Oh, great. So, <laughs> um, so this team team was uh, was put together and sort of thrown together to design and create the scenario and the characters that were needed for this action game that they wanted. Um, fucking hell, Tom! Like every every week we <laughs> we get we get we get together. I'm trying to talk about some fucking history of the game, and you're there fucking about in the background. <laughs> Sorry about putting me off. No, that's fine. That's what we're all about. So it's funny it, <laughs> for me. Oh Christ! So. The production of, of Metroid, it was described as a very free working environment by Tanaka, um, or Twatanka, whatever you want to call him, um, who stated that despite being the composer for the game, he also uh, gave input on the game's graphics, helped name the areas, different areas of the game. Um, and this is this is something that's huge uh, in the, the sort of... Uh, it's a bit of a spoiler if you haven't played it, but during the development... I think you've, you've had 24 years. Yeah, but part of this is introducing people to games they may not have played. Um, so, but yeah, if you can't have a spoiler after 25 years, then actually, fuck you. <laughs> uh, Luke Skywalker's dad is Darth Vader as well, by the way. Um, God rest his soul, David Prowse. Mm, absolutely, yeah, yeah, R.I.P. Um, so partway through development, he he sort of asked the other group of, of devs, hey, would it be kind of cool if this person inside the suit that they'd created actually turned out to be a woman? Um, so this this is gaming's first real twist, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And like, it's kind of weird when you look back on it that it like it, it was a big thing that it could be a woman that was like killing these aliens. But let's not forget the influence of Ridley Scott's Alien in this, mm-hmm. and that you know Ripley, yeah, was a fucking woman. So. 
it's when you look back it's not that big a surprise like looking at the source material and the inspirations that that led to this game it's kind of quite obvious where that came from it's a cool thing and like samus is 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 a really popular character um, but yeah, that was a big thing at the time that it was revealed, and it, you had to beat the game. So if you were like a, some twat who had a problem with it being a woman, you would just must have spent hours with it mastering it to, to find out. <laughs> Which is pretty cool as well, because actually in the in the uh, manual uh, they refer to Samus as he uh, pretty much all the way through it, so or, or, or the whole way through it, so that you don't really. I, I'm pretty sure that must. That's have been just a fuck up. That wasn't. No, I no? don't think so. I think that was just a fuck up. I think they probably like probably had the manual written or something. Oh, really? I'd like to think it was intentional, but okay, maybe not. Um, but yeah, as you say, Ridley Scott's uh, 1979 film, Alien, was a huge influence on it, and obviously then the work of H.R. Geiger uh, with his um, art direction on on, um, on Alien, you can see that transposed over to uh, to Metroid as well with some of the enemy types and things. So, um, Not as much as I saw it in Fax Hanadu, but Ad, I was going to say... Uh... What I'm impressed with is that you said H.R. Geiger because I was watching some some um, information on this game recently and even a, in a British video, they were referring to him as H.R. Giger. Why would you say Giger? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, so what they wanted to do with Metroid, man, was um, set it apart from other games by making it a non-linear adventure-based game. Um, so really, this is like the foundations of, of what we see in RPG games. Um, what are you doing? <laughs> no, nothing. In the background. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> fuck, fuck off. So this. <laughs> I just. I'm in. I'm in one of the moods. All right. I've had a shit week. Uh, and l- my life's all over the place. And you know, this is all I've got. So, fuck's sake. Okay. So this. Yeah. They. They wanted to set Metroid apart from from other games. So they wanted to give it that exploration. Um, element where you'd actually have to explore the game and find out you know how to beat different areas and and work your way through the game without it being uh handed to you on a plate almost um so obviously you look at something like sonic or mario where you you pretty yeah, much which is run from side to side yes yeah, yeah exactly this is obviously the antithesis of that where you you literally are retracing your steps uh, probably hundreds of times when you first play in this game um it's a big it's a it's a maze basically and you you travel from one area to another there'll be areas you can't reach you can't jump that high you can't duck that low later on you'll gain an ability that then allows you to access new routes in old in other parts of the game so you do cross the map it's it's a gameplay language that is now referred to as metroidvania mm-hmm. and you know was spawned by this game and by castlevania which came out the same year so yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly it's that, it's so. just, a, it's, it is a fundamental game design principle, which was first pioneered here. Someone else would have come up with it, sure. But this is the one that, this in Castlevania is, is the ones that invented it. And something else they managed to do as well as, as inventing a whole fucking genre was um, really giving that sense of isolation um, and desperation and the fact that you are in an alien world. So the design of the game and how they, even down to the sound, um, it just makes it seem completely alien to the player. Yeah, it's pretty bleak, isn't it? Like you do really feel that you're in some, yeah, like some fucking alien world, and you're you're kind of out of your depth and in a hostile environment. It's Tanaka's, pretty gnarly, like. Yeah, absolutely. And Tanaka said that he wanted to make a score that made players feel like they were encountering a living organism. So, um, 
he didn't make any distinction between the music and the sound effects. Uh, the only time you actually hear a melodic theme is when Mother Brain is actually defeated. Um, which we'll and we'll talk to. about who Mother Brain is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's min- minimalistic sound, but it, it gives us a sense of dread that sort of you're just uncomfortable the whole way through and you're on edge. Um, and he just wanted it to have that really uncomfortable isolated feel so i think i think he achieved that as well based on my time in the game um what, what we're going to talk about as well we obviously we're going to cover super metroid in the future and super metroid is one of the greatest sequels of all time one of the greatest games of all time like period mm-hmm. and that achieves this so much more with the power of the 16-bit consoles yeah like it's almost it's almost a reimagining it's like the perfect metroid game but it's still impressive what was done with this first outing. Overall, now, if you rank all the Metroid games from all time, this doesn't hold up anywhere near the top. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still very impressive to go back and see that design language is very much there. The bleakness, the... Are you reading through the notes to see what I've changed? I don't know what you've changed, but I've got a fucking suspicion. <laughs> Let's just leave it. <laughs> but yeah, you can really like f- feel that bleakness, and I like it. I like it a lot. Even though it's the the color palette's a bit garish, you've got like yeah, yeah. bright green and pink enemies. There's there's only you know so many colors on the on the um any system that are available. Despite that, though, but, they did they make each area have a distinct look and and feel uh, to some extent. Um, obviously, the fundamentals of each level are kind of the same, but if you look at some of the different areas, there's like these sort of uh, round like almost like egg type things that you have to f- blast your way through and stuff. And it's like, okay, you get in a feel that you are in an alien world. So they, they did achieve it to quite an impressive degree. Uh, using the yeah. And we'll talk about the, the gameplay limitations and, and whatnot later on when we get down to our experience playing in this last week. <clears throat> so something uh, I took down here in, in, in my notes was that um, in his book, Maestro Mario, how Nintendo transformed video game music into art, into an That's art. That's a succinct story. title. Yeah. Video game scholar Andrew Shartman. I hope that's not a fucking change. <laughs> I didn't change that one. <laughs> oh, really? oh my god, that's amazing! Legend. Uh, so Andrew Shartman notes the possible influence. Famous of Gary... for inventing the shart. <laughs> <laughs> Just he, like... he's up there with Gary, Gary Kitchen. I was gonna say. Oh, good old Gary Kitchen. Series one, the, guys. The, the Kitchen Brothers, all, all all of them. So. He notes the possible influence of Jerry Goldsmith's Alien score on Tanaka's music. So um, it was even sort of logged in, you know. The annals of time. Yeah, the, the, these books that were being produced around time and, and looking on, into video game art and things like that. So it's it's clear that the influence of Alien was there. So um, just an interesting point I, I pulled out when I was looking into this. So, um so, followed <laughs> following the legend of what you've written here, <laughs> Zeldork, <laughs> Metroid uh, it helped pioneer the idea of acquiring tools to strengthen characters and help progress through the game. So, what we talked about uh, a little earlier was that you're going to go back on yourself to find upgrades for your suit or upgrades for your gun or um, various different power-ups that you then need, or different move sets even, like the roll. Um which obviously become became sort of iconic with the series. Yeah, what's really important now is something you've noted here that the, there was power ups in games before this, but they were like um, the star in Mario or the the power shot in Gauntlet that gave you like a temporary mm-hmm. boost. 
whereas these permanently changed your ability. So they were upgrades, like RPG upgrades, you know? Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, this really laid the foundations for how we see RPGs now, because you, the whole point is you, you get your character and you, you're trying to build them towards that big finale. And The, the difference in, in the Metroidvania-style game is the upgrades are actually required to progress. Mm, yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, impressive nonetheless. Um, so you got things like missiles and ice beam that you had to get to basically unlock doors or freeze enemies so you could climb higher, things like that. Um, but yeah, absolutely pioneering uh, way of, of building the game. <laughs> okay, so another interesting direction that they've decided to take the game is that after defeating the final boss, the player is given an end screen, uh, which is based on the time it took them to get there. Um, I did not know that. No, I didn't know that either before looking into this. So that's that's interesting. Um, and they also then had... Uh, it was one of the first games to actually feature multiple endings with uh, with five in total, which is... That's pretty impressive, man. Um, so in the third, fourth, and fifth endings, Samus Aran appears without her suit. And for the first naked. time... She's not naked. She has a I bet, bikini I bet, on. I, want, I wonder how many nerds in the 80s jacked off to Sarah Salmon in a in a swimsuit. <laughs> oh, God. That's not a thought we want to put into people's minds, but there you go. Enjoy. Uh, so the team, uh, obviously, they did come across some issues in progressing and development of the game. Um, they were approaching a release date that basically was... Um, they, they were basically told, right, you need to get involved here. Uh to the, to the director, he's like, right, you need to get involved, get this fucking thing back on track. So there were some hiccups, but I mean, ultimately, <clears throat> they managed to create the vision um, that they were they were looking for at the start. So, um, so Sakamoto really... states, Sakamoto states that he finds a way to bypass the limited resources and time to leverage the existing assets to create variation and an exciting experience. So there was some trickery with swap color palettes and bits and pieces there to to reuse assets of the game, I guess. Yeah, but I think they managed to achieve what they wanted to achieve with it and, you know, get the game to where they wanted to get to despite some limit, some, some sort of limitations on time and, and deadlines and things like that. So, yeah, man, um, overall, pr- pretty impressive uh, backstory to uh, to Metroid. So tell us... I don't, I don't know if we mentioned earlier, Ad, before we get into anything else, that the game was originally going to be called Space Hunter. Of course, yeah. No, we didn't mention that, but yeah... Um, Metroid's a far better name. Yeah, it is. Um, the old portmanteau. But yeah, I I do find that the development of this game is one of those that they obviously wanted to make this great game and they succeeded. But like all the best games at this time, it's, it's the, the opposite of what we looked at when we looked at Sonic the Hedgehog. Because Sonic the Hedgehog was designed specifically to be a great game. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds like a weird thing. Like, why wouldn't you design a game specifically to be a great game? But if you look at all the thought that went into Sonic, it was about targeting sales, targeting dethroning Nintendo. And they were looking specifically at what they needed to achieve to do that in terms of the mascot design, this, that, and the other. This became a great game because they just had such a solid vision for designing a pure new thing, a game, you know? It wasn't like, oh, we're out there to dethrone another game or we're out there to beat this. We just They just had this idea and just really committed to it, and it became something amazing, probably far more than they could ever anticipate. Yeah, well, they put, like I said, a, quite a rookie team to, to assist in the development of this. So, 
considering that, it's pretty impressive that they actually came out, came up with a game which turned out to be, you know, uh, an absolute, uh, well, groundbreaker really, and and paved the way for for the success of, of many other games. So, um, Tom, in terms of this is an interesting point actually. So, Metroid doesn't really give you that much in depth uh, insight into what the story actually is. You get an overview, but you you've got to... your manual as well, which. And gives you a bit of chat. Yeah, so what what is the story then to this? Well, the year is 20X5, which is a, a nice little spin on They always have this like, oh, it's 1980X, or it's 20XX as Mega mm. Man. This is specifically 20X5. It's important that it's five at the end. And the space the space pirates attack a galactic federation-owned space research vessel and see sees samples of Metroid creatures, the parasitic life forms discovered on the planet SR3A8. So here we get onto one of the cool things about Metroid. It's got the Zelda problem where people think that Samus is called Metroid. Yeah. Just like yeah. people think Link is called Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Metroid is, Metroids are actually the name of the, the aliens, and they are parasitic creatures that attach themselves to, to hosts, and then they drain its life energy to kill them. Uh, the Space Pirates plan to replicate Metroids. Now, the leader of the Space Pirates is Ridley, which is no surprise when you yeah. look at the reference to Ridley Scott, who's basically a pterodactyl. Except in Metroid 1, he looks more like Barney the fucking dinosaur. <laughs> Slightly less imposing. <laughs> yeah, whereas you look at him in, in Super Metroid, it's fucking terrifying. Mm. So the space pirates plan to replicate the Metroids by exposing them to beta rays and then use them as biological weapons to destroy all living beings that oppose them. While searching for the stolen Metroids, the Galactic Federation locates the space pirates' base of operation on the planet Zebes. The Federation assaults the planet, but the pirates resist, forcing the Federation to retreat. Okay, so there's a whole space conflict going on here. Well overwritten for what it needs to be. As a last resort, the Federation decides to send a lone boner hunter to, pe- <laughs> <laughs> to, pe- to penetrate. <laughs> oh, man, I must have changed that. Oh, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a bounty hunter yeah. to penetrate the pirate's base and destroy the mother brain. <laughs> oh, don't spit your beer out, man. The bo- <laughs> the bi- oh, man, we're on a serious... serious- Serious Sam tonight. The biomechanical life form that controls the space pirates' fortress and its defenses. That's Mother Brain. All right, which is always the final boss in Metroid. Considered the greatest of all bounty hunters, Samus Aran is chosen for the mission. Samus lands on the surface of Zebes and explores uh, some Metroid nerds being like, yeah, it's a Zebs or something. <laughs> yeah. And explores the. Yeah, we'll say fap off to Sarah, Samus again. Uh, Lands on the planet, explores the planet, traveling through the caverns. Eventually, comes across Creed, which reminds me of you know um when the guy who lives in the stomach of the dude in Total Recall is like Creed, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> open your mind. Jesus Christ! Um, he's an ally of the space pirates and Ridley, the space pirates commanders, and she defeats them both. Eventually, Samus finds and destroys Mother Brain. A time bomb is then placed to destroy. The lair and she must escape before it explodes. So that's one thing I want to talk about the ending of this game, which is dope as all hell. Mm-hmm. Once you defeat the boss, like in most games, you defeat the boss. Mario, you defeat the boss, you fuck the princess. Like Sonic, you defeat the boss, you fuck some little rabbits. This game, you <laughs> defeat the boss, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you've got to escape this horrific platforming section. 
Yeah, with a tiny with a little tiny. platforms as well. Yeah, like tiddly tiddly little motherfuckers. And it's and that's cool because like it, it's a game about panic and fear. And the fact you have to escape at the end just shows the whole place was hostile. It wasn't just these like mother brain. Oh, once my brain's dead, oh, that's that's fine. Then you just left in this empty spaceship. No, there's like the final trick up the sleeve to get out of there before the bomb goes off. And I I love it when games do stuff like that at the end. It's mm. kind of cool. Yeah, man, it's a great ending, and I wasn't expecting it either because you know it was the first time I'd seen this game played all the way through. Um, I mean, I didn't get through it myself. I need to make that very clear. Um, no, well, we'll talk about that when we get to it because I had every plan to complete this game and then was like, oh, but Super Metroid. Yeah, well, yeah, as you say, we'll get on to that. I actually ended up playing Super Metroid instead for a lot of the time this week. <laughs> Just, you know, learn about the legacy. Yeah, okay. Well, some of the key characters that we meet uh, during this. So we talked about uh, Samus Aran quite a lot. Um, so... She is an ex-soldier who became uh, a galactic bounty hunter. So she used to be with the Galactic Federation. Um, now she's usually fitted out with a powered exoskeleton, so the suit that you see that she wears. Um, and the, the, the great thing about the um, the suit in all the Mitchell games is, is the upgrades that, that mm. it allows you. Mm. And not only uh, sort of stats-wise, also <laughs> visuals as well. Um so that exoskeleton is equipped with a number of weapons, um, such as her sort of iconic directed energy weapon that she has in her hand, um, and missiles as well. Now, um, she's basically almost she's like a, a contractor, isn't she? So she goes out and she executes basically, yeah, yeah. It's a much cooler word for it than fucking contractor. She's going out and doing. Yeah, IT that sounds problems. like she's going to go on. Put some scaffolding up or something. <laughs> All right, mate. All right, I'm, here to, I'm here to clear your gutters. <laughs> Fucking hell. We just absolutely demoted her. <laughs> so, yeah, so she's normally seen out hunting space pirates and uh, and their leader, Ridley. I'm looking at these pictures here. She has quite big bazookas. You're referring to her guns, was... aren't you? No, I'm yes. talking about, about, about her boobs. There was... Well... She is at the end. You got her here, just in her pink boots and a bikini. And this is a gratuitous bikini shot. This looks like some Pamela Anderson bullshit going on here. Mm. She has disproportionate sized boobs to the rest of her body. Yeah. Well, they had limited pixels in which to create the female form. And she has like the mouth of a sex doll. <laughs> just a whole. <laughs> you know, you know that like surprised look they have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I wouldn't know, Tom, but I'm sure you do. Yeah, but I've seen pictures. <laughs> Um, so she is, uh, Samus has appeared in every Metroid game, um, and has also been featured in a number of, um, other media forms outside of the series, including Super Smash Bros as well. Yeah, she's, she's really good at Super Smash Bros. You get Zero Suit Samus as well, which is from, um, Metroid Zero Mission Later, which is where she's just wearing this, like, blue, lycra, sexy-ass bike-riding suit. Like, doesn't offer any protection at all. But it looks cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it looks like something that um, Kate Beckinsale would wear in a in an Underworld movie. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Uh, so she's uh, she's obviously very well known um, as one of the first or earliest female protagonists. Do you think Kate Beckinsale's hotter because she's posh? I've never thought about it. I don't Definitely think so. Because if she was like, oh, I love. Oh, I thought I'm going in the Underworld. <laughs> <laughs> in the world, kill some fucking bloodsuckers, isn't it? I've got to fight those demons. Uh, but because she's all like, "Oh, hello," <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm, uh, "And I'm like," 
I'm sure she'd be very pleased to know that. Uh, next character we want to look at is uh, Kraid, who you've mentioned. Um, Kraid. So Kraid is a gigantic dinosaur-like beast. He looks like um, Bebop from Teenage Mutant <laughs> oh, Ninja Turtles. Nice. nice. Do you, you think to... so? Uh, kind of, I, I guess. I'm Googling. I've never made that comparison. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Metroid. I'm gonna say no. No, no, he doesn't look at all. I'm, I'm completely wrong here. He's a big green lizard. Yeah. Um. Mm. So he's he's a member of the Space Pirates High Command. So he's he's obviously a, a key general in in the Space Pirates uh, hierarchy. Um. And his most prominent feature is grotesquely. It's very similar to you, Tom. His grotesquely oversized belly. <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to say penis. I mean, well, <laughs> like, a I, baby, like a baby's arm holding an apple. <laughs> oh God! Ah, I, I have got a large gut. I have to be honest. It's all the beer drinking I do with you. Well, I'm developing very similar as well. So um, it's like it's like when if I fall off my when I go skating, if I fall off, it looks like someone dropped a water bomb, but it didn't burst. <laughs> Just bounce. <laughs> Hey, I guess that's good, really. Uh, yeah, well, he doesn't do much for my insides. So in Super Metroid, Kraid appears in his giant form, uh, two screens tall and almost a screen wide. So he's a big, big old bastard. Um, big fucking cunt. And he continues to pop up throughout the series. Um, he's, he's seen in Metroid Prime. Um, he, was, he was supposed to be seen in Metroid Prime, sorry, but um, he was removed due to time constraints, apparently. So he was he was there in spirit, almost. Um, but he's obviously a constant... Uh, sort of foil to uh to say well, of course the interesting thing out about metroid is before mother brain there's only two bosses mm-hmm. so you have craig like, yeah and then you've got ridley and you've got yeah. my brain yeah which we, we already said they're the three you face but that's a very small amount of bosses for what's quite it's quite a hefty game but uh, do you think like if they have in so if you look look at Mega Man, for example and the amount of um bosses you have to go through at the end there i think if this because the amount of exploration you have to do in this game that would have fucked me right off if there was like ten bosses. Yeah, but you get through it faster and faster. When you play Super Metroid, there's more bosses, for example. But they're not like the bosses in this game in Metroid are fucking hard. Mm. Whereas like some of the bosses in Super Metroid are not; they're more like fodder. But you you quite often will have to defeat a boss to get an upgrade. Yeah, whereas in this, you just kind of go and get the upgrade from a. Well, normally you like find a monkey statue holding it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, so Craid and Ridley. So Ridley is is basically the arch enemy of, of Samus Aran. Um, he's an intelligent and sadistic dragon-like extraterrestrial that, despite being killed multiple times by it, is always revived by the space pirates or accidentally by the Galactic Federation in Metroid Other M, which is the strange Wii port. Um, so he's either cloned or added. You know, he has robotics added to him to bring him back to life. Um, so they're they're the two main. Bad guys, your face before you get to Rid- Ridley's, of course, in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Now. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Ridley was a big announcement because he was probably the most requested character in that game because he's such a beloved game. Because Ridley's, like, you look. So you've got Craig, who's just Minga. Like, mm-hmm. no one's going to be rooting for Craig. He's just this big blo- blobby horrible. Not Craig. Not Craig Hartshorn. Craig. <laughs> from the past there. <laughs> Sorry, Craig, if you ever you do listen to this. He's a friend from primary school or secondary school. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but Ridley's, like, 
he's not just a big fat minion blob. He's like he's kind of cool. He's got character. He's a bit of a badass. It's a bit like, like me and you, isn't it? Uh, totally. <laughs> I'm like Craig, and you're like Ridley. Is that what you're <laughs> yeah, saying? Of course. Ken's so, like Mother Brain. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> ah, hello, I'm Mother Brain. <laughs> Big fucking head of his. He <laughs> <laughs> just draw some lines on it. Put a oh, glass man. ball on it. So he's a bit of a, a bit of a, a cool, cool dude. Is is Ridley? Yeah, people love people love Ridley like as much as they love Samus. I think. So Mother Brain. Then when when you you get to Mother Brain, well, effectively, she is just a massive brain um, who presumably has kids. Well, she'd have to to be a mother. <laughs> mm. By, def- by definition. Uh, so she is the recurring game boss and major antagonist throughout the series. Um, now, the Chozo created Mother Brain as a counsellor and as a means to accelerate their plan to link the galaxy into old. one unified society. You're getting a full history of what Metroid was about here. Um, well, this is kind of important because we are going to... Co- Metroid is going to be one of the series that we will cover several games of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So actually, all of this story you know builds the backdrop to that absolutely it's important it's important to understand who the galactic federation are who the space pirates are so so creatively named who ridley is who created his mother brain like you kind of need to know all that going forward to get the full experience yeah so during the space pirate invasion of of zebes uh it saw the space i'm sure it's not pronounced zebes if it is it's fucking lame was zebes zeb how would you pronounce it? Zebs? I don't know. <laughs> Zebedees. Zebs. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <it's, laughs> Zebs. <laughs> During the space pirate invasion of Zorbs, it saw the space pirates um, <laughs> as a perfect force capable of restoring true order to the universe. Universe? Universe. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, you're, you're like special tonight, man. Oh, I'm off it, mate. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, and this I, is the worst show we've ever done. <laughs> but also the best. Um, so they, they saw... Uh, what the fuck was I saying? Um, <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. Basically, Mother Brain was <laughs> trying to attempt to persuade Samus to be an ally in order to build a new age for the universe by claiming that because it built the power suit that Samus wears, she is indebted to Mother Brain. So basically, it's Mother all Brain pulpy space adventure tr- trash. I love it. Has a ploy to bring her over to the dark side, that sort of thing. Like What I'm going to call yeah. it is you say Samus, I say Samus. Okay. Is, which, which, is, so, which is correct. Uh, hold on. Um, apparently, it's Sam Us. Okay. Well, I will correct myself from now. Samus. Hold on. My way sounds like an Irish person. Seamus Aaron. I've got a video here called How to Pronounce Samus. And when you play it, it goes, How to Pronounce Samus. And then it stops and goes, Samus. <laughs> <And> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, you just told me. Bro. Nice. So, so Seamus would be a good Metroid spinoff. <laughs> the Irish version. Uh, mm. So Samus... Um, she, so she's she's obviously trying to bring Samus over. Mother Brain is trying to bring Samus over to her side, uh, but uh, obviously that doesn't happen. Um, where am I here now? In Super Metroid, so we're moving on a little bit here. But Super Metroid, Mother Brain also rises from 
she's, she's a brain initially in, in Metroid, but then she rises from the floor with a grotesque body in Super Metroid after a tank's destroyed. So. Yeah, she does appear in different forms, and I don't want to really go into some of them because we, sh- we should save that. But Mother Brain Ad is not the true villain of Metroid. Ridley is no? the true villain of Metroid. Mm. And I think that's like Mother Brain's there because it kind of has to be. But you, the reason Ridley works so well as, a, as an antagonist is, like I said earlier, he's got character. Mm-hmm. And Mother Brain really is just a monster. Yeah. And it's just, it's just not that interesting to me. Mother Brain's the end goal, isn't she? She's like what you need to get to. But obviously, the interest lies in her generals and, like, as you say, where the character lies. Of but, yeah, the characters. Yeah. And, like,. Yeah. Metroid does characters quite well for a game that does, like has very little exposition during playing because you're invested in upgrading your character and you you meet these recognizable dudes and you can read about them in the manual and stuff like that. And then especially in the later games where they they have more visual appeal and stuff, mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah that's where it lies. So yeah, that's really like we've given you quite a lot of info there about the backstory and how Metroid became you know got was developed and how. They develop the story and what the backdrop to all of that is. So as you say, Tom, that's going to be important down the line when we look at some other Metroid titles. So let's let's dive in and talk about... So we spent a little bit of time with this game ourselves, playing through it, um, as we always try to do as much as we can of for this show. Um, t- talk to me about your experience with Metroid. So as you know, and I keep banging the drum for, I played a lot of Super Metroid in the past. That's a fantastic, fantastic game. Never really played much of the original Metroid and going back to it was difficult because there's certain gameplay enhancements in the sequel that now of course Metroid 2 on the Game Boy comes out before Super Metroid so that Super Metroid is really the third iteration mm-hmm. of Metroid but it's it's the direct sequel to Metroid yeah i think i'm going to have to follow myself up on that in the next time we talk about this this series just chronologically, I think it may actually be the third game and it comes after Metroid 2, I can't remember. But spiritually, it's definitely the, the sequel to the NES Metroid. And it's it's kind of difficult because the platforming doesn't feel all that good. Um, you can't crouch and shoot, which fucking sucks, frankly. Uh, it's tough. It's tough as hell. Yeah. And the, the level design and visuals in Super Metroid are so good. That they've set a bar for me. That this one, I just it re- really was a struggle for me to go back to. Yeah. Um. But the biggest issue, the biggest shortcoming of this game for me, is the fact that there's no map. Yeah, it's it's so frustrating because you you literally are traveling back and forth to the same place a number of times before you realize. Oh right, I've got to go right back to the start. Because what happens at the start of this game? This is a really cool design thing actually. Is you start the game and you go forward through the first door. And you keep going, you find this platforming area. So you go find the next door, you go through there, and then you get to an area which is just like uh, a small space that you have to crawl through, but you realize, shit, I can't crouch or crawl or anything like that. So you go back. And then when you go back to the very start, the whole room has changed. Um, And you find then an upgrade where you started the game, um, which allows you to turn into the ball and and roll through the smaller gaps. Um, So that's a really cool little design mechanic straight off the bat. but I think and Mother Brain is always directly above you at the start. I like that. Yeah, that that's the cool. end bot is this that is apparently one screen above you, which is really tantalising, isn't it? That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you would figure that out 
by playing because I didn't get to the end, so I don't know if when you come back, it's like quite obvious that oh god, it was just up there all the time. That would be super fucking cool. That's some Dark Souls bullshit because of course Dark Souls is my favorite Metroidvania, as you may have mentioned sometime in the past. But do you not agree that that like Metroid is the clear inspiration for Dark Souls? Yeah, the way the game definitely. works. Def- absolutely, yeah. It's that whole right. You've gone through all hell to get to this area. Now you realize, shit, I've got to go all the way fucking back. Yeah, and then the way you, you unlock areas and stuff like that, it's through, with Dark Souls, it's through shortcuts, not through abilities, but it's... Same concept, though, in principle, it? the same concept, yeah. So so it, it is, it's a little hard. And visually, there's long stretches of similar-looking stuff. So what, what happens a lot in this game is you've got horizontal sections of map connected by vertical shafts. Mm-hmm. Um. So you'll climb up and down these vertical levels and you're trying to remember, oh, I came along here, I went down, you know, and every every so often you'll come to doors coming off these vertical platforming sections. And when you want to go back, you're going to go back and then go, do I go to the first door above me or is it two doors above me? And because of the, the limited capabilities of the system, there's a lot of similar feeling yeah. areas. There's yeah. long stretches of areas that look the same and that can lead to a bit of a navigational nightmare. Now, the map they introduce later in the series is very, very simple. It's just a series of boxes, and it highlights which ones you've been in, which you haven't. But it lets you know when you unlock a new ability, you can look at the map and say, right, all the blue areas, I haven't managed to get to them yet. So you might not know specifically I can now get to that one, but it gives you a prompt of which areas to go and reinvestigate. Yeah, which is... Whereas this one, you can quite quickly find yourself re-exploring the entire map every time you get a new ability, and that's a twat. And this is obviously in the time before any guides would have been available for you to, to you know. Well, there was GameFAQs. Maybe GameFAQs wasn't around back then, but the, no, the, of course, 86, it would have been Nintendo Power, like, because mm-hmm. it's pre-internet. I don't know what the fuck I came up with GameFAQs. Um, I was thinking when I first played the game, yeah. which was like way later in the 90s, but then I would have used guides like that. But at the time, it would be Nintendo Power. And mm-hmm. of course... Don't forget, you could phone the Nintendo counselors, game counselors. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, completing this game would have been a fucking task. I mean, I'll, I watched the guy speed run it just so I could get a feel of you know the whole game. As I said, I, there's no way I was going to get all the way through it. But um, man, this guy did it in about 55 minutes. Um, but you could tell that he'd sort of. Well, actually, I don't know who it was playing it. Um, they they'd basically played this. Sadie Sadie McSad pants. <laughs> well, they knew exactly where to go. They knew exactly where every enemy was going to be, how to get around every every nook and cranny of the game. Because um, some of it, like you, you you go into an area and like you just met by walls, and you wouldn't know that you have to blow up a section of the wall, roll through <laughs> it, and keep blowing up sections of the wall to get through. Which becomes that's quite a, that's a pervasive problem with the Metroid series <coughs> is yeah. um, hidden routes that you have to unlock. So like. The same happens in Super Metroid where you've got the you, you turn into a ball and you can drop the bombs. Mm-hmm. And there's specific sections of wall you've got to blow up to progress. Yeah. Without like a visual indicator. The problem here is and they all that's look the same. Fucking bad game design, frankly. Yeah, exactly. They, it, they all look the fucking same in this as well. So it's really difficult to. You'd have to literally try it on every set, every block to figure out which one you needed to go through. so And there's sections where you have to jump and then use your bomb and then to, to get you higher and stuff like that. So it's, it's trial and error. Um, which... I mean, those bits are kind of cool if you can see where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. Where it becomes annoying is, yeah, like you said, when there's just an obtuse like, puzzle to get through. <clears throat> yeah, And that, yeah. Does, that does, you know, appear time and time again through the series. 
obviously as game design progresses, people realise that that's just bullshit and no one wants to play that. Yeah. But at the time, I think it gave people obviously a, a lot to figure out, a lot to try and get through. And I, I don't know, maybe if at the time it was it was as frustrating as it is for us now. Um, because obviously we're used to much, much different, much more accessible game design. We have accessible um, game design. We also play 50, 60, 70 games a year. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, when this came out, you may, there was less chance you were going to have access to so many games. Yeah, to, to play exactly. every year. Exactly. And you also you talk to your mates in the playground and go, oh, how did you get past that room? Oh, I launched the dildo grenade at this particular <laughs> What games were you playing? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that element is not our life anymore because you just go, oh, fucking IGN and look at how to do it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's one of the frustrating sides of it, going back to it now. But... Um, I mean, let's talk about some of the power-ups that you can get in the game. So obviously, an iconic one in the series is the the, the Morph Ball, which allows uh, Samus to curl into a ball to roll around. Yeah, it's the first tunnels. one you get, and that's that's really important. Um, you also get the Bomb, which then when you roll around, it drops a bomb, and you can blow up enemies or get to higher levels if, and, and things like that. Yeah, you get the Rockets, which open the different coloured doors. Yeah, exactly. So there's various upgrades that you, you pick up through it, and obviously allow you to progress in the game. So it's a really, you really can, cool... Uh, you can increase, like, carrying capacity for ammo and... Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, energy tanks for life and stuff like that. So it's just a really cool progression tree on it. Mm-hmm. And you don't really have an inventory system either, so it's just pure... You've got it, it's upgraded, job done. Um, you don't have to have to equip anything in this version. Um, it's, it's just there. You upgrade your suit, you go to the next area. That's it. Um... <laughs> So there's lots of different enemy types in this, Tom, as well. I think that that's one thing I would say about this is there's a lot of variety in the look of the enemies. Maybe not the way they behave, but um, in the way they look, there's a lot of variety. And you do see that HR Geiger influence there um, with a lot of the enemy design. Um, one other cool weapon that you do get as well is like the freeze ray type thing, where mm-hmm. like you have to yeah, freeze, yeah, yeah. freeze the enemies to jump on them to get to a higher level, which is really cool. It's a great, great bit of design. Um so that's pretty much in terms of gameplay. There's not much else we can really say. What we'll say is just go and watch some YouTube footage of somebody playing it to get an idea of, you know, watch us playing it on Unplugged. Fuck me. Go play it. Or play it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it really is. I think it's worth people dipping into. And well, if you've got go. a Switch, if you've got a Switch, it is available on the um, Nintendo Switch Online service. Nice. So I played a good chunk of it there when, when I had that. Awesome. Um, in terms of reception, Tom. Metroid, it received largely positive reviews at the time and sold relatively well. It sold well, as you said, um, in the West. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Actually, it's better in the West, which is you know surprising. Um, so, which actually led to Metroid Two, the Game Boy game, being released in the West first, which was really unusual at the time for a Japanese developed game to come out first over here. There's, <laughs> there's also been some amazing commercials. For Metroid throughout oh, the years. Oh Jesus, man! Have you watched some of them? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna add some of those notes in, but like I thought, you know, we can't really give do them justice here. But you should just go onto YouTube and look at the Metroid commercials because they're fucking wild. Yeah, it's been they, they felt ones. to me they felt more like Sega commercials than Nintendo ones. They did, didn't they? It's like, yeah, we bring the fun, we bring the game, <laughs> Metroid. Um, but also they Metroid. had <laughs> or the Japanese versions, yeah. Um, so. Nintendo Power, uh, they retrospectively 
reviewed the game and gave it a five out of five for graphics and sound. A four and a it's half. Funny out how of five. Nintendo Power reviewed their own game. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to reviewed... say it was shit, are they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a game developed by Nintendo was reviewed by a magazine owned by Nintendo, and it got perfect <laughs> scores across the board. Well, they also bloody, ranked... bloody marvelous, that there, Metroid. <laughs> Metroid. <laughs> <laughs> they ranked it as the eleventh best game on its list of the top two hundred games on Nintendo. So there you go, Nintendo giving themselves fucking high praise there. Uh, two years later, they also then named Metroid the fifth best game for Nintendo uh, for the NES and its best. Oh, right, so, feature. The, so the, the, another six must have got worse. <laughs> yeah, they ranked it higher. So. Um, I mean, overall, there's a there's a great score by Game Wankings here. Um, <laughs> the, I've not heard of them, um, but they they gave it a 63% on the NES and a 62% on the Game Boy Advance here, apparently. But which is not not dope. No, it's not great, is it? Uh, all game gave it five stars. Gamespot five and a half out of ten. IGN eight out of ten. I mean. I guess the thing is, these guys are going back and reviewing old games. IGN and, and GameSpot wouldn't have been around, so um, it's always difficult, isn't it? I always think on this show, it's difficult to go back and give a, a proper rating, so I feel like that Metroid is such a seminal game that really set the foundations for so many others, and, and a whole genre, as we said earlier, with the Metroidvania-style games, so giving it a rating... On going back and playing it now is probably not the right thing to do. Alas, we shall skip the rating system. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's the right right sort of thing to do for this game um, because it's such an influential game. And going back and well, I'll, I'll be straight up front with you now. If you say to me, "Do you want to go play Metroid now?" I'm going to be like, "No, I'll play Super Metroid." Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But if you took Metroid away, video games would be a very different landscape and worse off for it. And there you go. That's that's the. Uh, the best rating we can give it really so yeah guys that's been uh that's been our look back at metroid for the nes um if you've enjoyed that 8-bit shit show uh head over to happyrgaming.net we've got a host of other shows that you can enjoy I've, i just recorded there. a dope ass show with ken a happy hour gaming podcast it was a really good show tonight and you guys should check it out nice so yeah head over and listen to all of our other shows at happyhourgaming.net and come and chat to us on social media at happy gaming hour on twitter and you can also find links to our Discord in our profile there. Tom, that's been a good episode. Thanks for joining me. Cheers, pal. Cheers. <laughs>